So we are continuing and actually coming to an end, the final sermon in our series in 2 Timothy. So we've come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. This can be found on page 996 in the Pew Bible. Please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is verses 9 to 22. Hear now the eternal, living Word of God. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly home. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So now we come to the close of Paul's final letter. These are his last known words to the outside world. And with this, he's leaving Timothy and the church in Ephesus with some final personal remarks. Throughout this letter, Paul has passionately charged Timothy to persevere in his gospel ministry. Timothy is to guard the gospel that has been entrusted to him by preaching and teaching the word unceasingly. And Timothy is to do this even in the face of suffering and persecution that will most certainly come his way. And he's to continue to distinguish himself from the false teachers that were in the church, both in his teaching and in his lifestyle. And we learn how we as the church today are to continue this mission of guarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's through the preaching and teaching of the word and through the lives of the people of the congregation. But we know this is a difficult task. We struggle through so much in our lives. We have the constant fight with our own sinful nature. Then there's the persecution and suffering that comes with the territory of living a godly life. The task of living a godly life and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ can be an arduous one. At times it can look bleak. But we're not alone in this task. 
God does not forsake his people and he won't let his gospel of salvation fail. So no matter what happens in the culture and the world around us, no matter how far the world turns from God and how hostile they become towards Christianity, God remains the same and he is with us. As Jerry preached last week on the steadfast love of the Lord that remains forever. And God's love and faithfulness towards his people means that he is always with us. That includes in our task of guarding the gospel. Even if the world has gone completely mad and they've completely turned against us. And so Paul gives his final remarks here to close out this letter to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus. And we'll see three areas that we can rely on the Lord in guarding the gospel. First, in the restoration of relationships. Second, repayment for wrongdoings. And third is to rescue us from evil. In the beginning of this final chapter, chapter 4, Paul commands Timothy in his primary task to preach the word of God, to continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ who died and is risen from the dead. And just as Paul did this himself, and now Paul is at the end of his race. And so Paul concludes here with some personal business for Timothy, starting in verse 9. He writes, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. The first thing Paul's urging Timothy to do is to come see him. Do your best to come to me soon. Paul, who expects to be executed soon, wants to see Timothy one last time. And although Paul is ready to meet the Lord because he has finished the race that God has set out before him, he believes he'll live long enough for Timothy to make one final trip to see him. This would not only reunite these longtime ministry companions, but it would allow Paul to give Timothy a final consultation in person. And Paul names several people in these few short sentences. First is Demas. He says, Paul says, abandon him because he's in love with this present world. So Demas is actually mentioned at the end of Paul's letters to the Colossians and Philemon. But then he hadn't deserted Paul yet. Paul once referred to him as a fellow worker, but seemingly the risk of ministry and being associated with Paul must have been too great for him. So he fled to protect himself. In contrast with Paul and what he was calling Timothy to do, to stand firm in the gospel. There's also Crescens who went to Galatia, Titus who went to Dalmatia, then Tychicus down in verse 12, who Paul sent to Ephesus. So these three didn't abandon Paul. It seems that they were sent by Paul to minister to his churches. And Titus is pretty well known. He has a book of the Bible named after him. Crescens is only mentioned here. Tychicus is mentioned one other time in Titus. But then Paul mentions Luke. Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. He was, also, he was a longtime companion of Paul. And Paul wrote here that he was the only one with him. Luke alone is with me. So we see the loyalty of Luke here. He remains with Paul even as he's in prison, even risking his own 
persecution. But the most interesting person mentioned here is in verse 11. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. This is the end of a quite interesting story. The Mark named here is John Mark. He's the author of the Gospel of Mark. But the story of Paul's relationship with Mark actually begins in Acts 13. Paul and his missionary group were about to move on to Antioch in his first missionary journey. And there's a short description in Acts 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in, in Pamphylia. And John, that is John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. So Paul and his missionary companions were moving along on their journey, as they always did, and they were about to go to Antioch, but it says John, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now this seems relatively harmless, but then in Acts 15, this moment resurfaces. Paul wanted to go back and check on the churches they had planted. And a conflict erupts between Paul and Barnabas. And at the center of it was John Mark. And so it says in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. So Paul was so upset that John Mark had left them earlier that he was unwilling to bring him with them on the rest of the journey. Barnabas clearly wanted him to go along. Barnabas is actually John Mark's cousin. And it says there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. All over Paul's issue with Mark, or John Mark. Now all of this background is to show us the beauty of what Paul writes here in 2 Timothy. Mark, who Paul once was so animate about not bringing him with him, that he was willing to part ways with Barnabas over it, now Paul writes to Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And so this is our first area we can rely on the Lord in restoration in relationships. We see in this story of John Mark and the Apostle Paul the wonderful work of restoration that the Lord can bring about. Paul is in his final hours of life, and ministry. And he has five final requests for Timothy. He wants Timothy to come see him. He wants his cloak, which would be a heavy garment like a blanket with a hole cut out for the head. He wants his books and his parchments uh, that he could continue to read and write. And he wanted Mark. Despite everything that had happened, the emotional disagreement over Mark earlier in his life, Paul, now over 20 years later, at the end of his life, found Mark to be very useful for ministry. The man he wanted to leave behind before has now become highly valuable to him. This is a drastic change and a restoration of their relationship. The man, John Mark, who abandoned Paul 
on his first missionary journey, went on to be used by God for great things in the kingdom. He wrote one of our gospel accounts of Jesus Christ. He befriended Peter and became a longtime companion of him. And now he even befriended or became a dear friend of Paul who once rejected him. And this reminds us that the goal in broken relationships is restoration. Like Paul and Mark, by restoring broken relationships, we can get back to the work of the kingdom of God. This is part of guarding the gospel because it can harm the spread of the gospel when relationships between Christians are broken and strained. The enemy wants to use our sinful nature and our pride to keep us separate. But God can and does restore our relationships so that we can get back to working together for the good of the church and for the good of the kingdom. Our past mistakes don't define our future. God continually works in our hearts. He continues to sanctify us, conforming us into the image of Christ. So no matter how far you've gone at times, how sinful or hurt you may have been, how great your mistakes, God can restore you to himself and to your brothers and sisters. So if you've made mistakes, you can always get back into the swing of things. It's never too late to restore a broken relationship with someone in the church. If you've let someone down or hurt someone in the past, which we've all done at some point in our life, God can use the time in between to change your heart, to change their heart and heal any wounds. And it's never too late to forgive someone that let you down or hurt you. We all have this going in our lives. Sometimes people go for years without speaking, but you can change over time. God can heal the wounds and restore your relationships, and this is the goal in these situations. You can take it to God in prayer, reach out to the person, and God may restore your relationship so that you can work again side by side for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may be surprised at what God can do. So then after Paul told Timothy these things, He wants Timothy to bring himself, Mark, his cloak, his books, his parchments. Then he moves on to someone to avoid. He writes in verses 14 and 15, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. A man named Alexander, who is a coppersmith, did great harm to Paul. We don't know what harm. Some suggest he may have had a hand in Paul's arrest, but we don't know for sure. We do know that he did some great harm, and that Paul warns Timothy to beware of him, because Alexander's issue isn't personal with Paul. He's strongly opposed to their message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so he will oppose anyone who proclaims it. And so Paul clearly would have a problem with this. Any damage that is being done to the gospel message, even more so than the damage he did to him personally. But Paul says the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And so this gives us a second area we can rely on the Lord. That is, in repayment for wrongdoings. Notice that Paul doesn't say anything to Timothy about getting revenge or righting the wrongs of Alexander. He doesn't even mention trying to stop him. 
He says that the Lord will repay him according to what he has done. Paul leaves the judgment to God. And he he commands the same thing to everyone in Romans 12. There Paul wrote, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so just as Paul is doing with Alexander, you're to leave justice to the Lord. We're to love our enemies. We're to pray for those who persecute us. And, and we're not to be overcome by their evil. We're to overcome evil with good. We know that unrepentant evildoers will pay for what they've done when they face God in judgment. And this means it's not your job to repay them. But you may have to avoid them. There's, if someone's trying to harm you, as Paul tells Timothy, beware of Alexander. He's telling him he's out to get you because he opposes the gospel. You can pray for someone and not seek revenge or justice for yourself, but it's also wise to avoid someone who may try to harm you in some way. And for us in the church, it's important to remember that we will always face fierce opposition and enemies. There's always people who openly oppose Christianity and the message of the gospel. There were several people that came to mind, Margaret Sanger, Bertram Russell, Richard Dawkins, and so on. These people who make a name for themselves bashing Christianity. And they constantly bash God, the Bible, Jesus. There are so many people in public life that act like we believe in foolish myths. And what they really oppose is the truth of God's message of salvation. And so we should defend the truth against their attacks by continuing to proclaim the truth of God about Jesus Christ. But we are to do so with patience and love and gentleness. And we can do so also knowing that God will render judgment according to his perfect righteousness and leaving justice and judgment to him. And so Paul was not only deserted by Demas and harmed by Alexander, he says, starting in verse 16, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul says that his first offense here, which was probably a preliminary hearing that he just had, and everyone deserted him. He stood alone. But just like Jesus who forgave his disciples who abandoned him at his trial, Paul doesn't want it charged against him. He doesn't want it charged against the people who had deserted him. Because men may have deserted Paul, but he says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So no matter what you are going through, the Lord is always with you. Even when we don't feel his presence, he will strengthen you for the work he has called you to do. Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That is, to proclaim the message of salvation and faith in Jesus Christ to those in the world who were not Jewish. Those who may have never heard of the one true God. And God was with Paul through everything. Paul faced death many times. He was arrested, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was left for dead, but God never left him. And his message continued to be proclaimed. 
And that same God is always with you. God promised to always be with his people, and he will do so. And he will empower you and strengthen you to do the work he's called you to do. Paul says, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And this gives us our third area we can rely on the Lord. In rescue from evil. Paul here mentions that he was rescued from the lion's mouth. He's clearly alluding to God's rescue of Daniel from physical death. But the Bible describes three ways that God delivers us. God can deliver us from physical death in this world for a time. God can deliver us eternally from the wrath to come. And as we say in the Lord's Prayer, God can deliver us from evil. Well, God has delivered Paul from physical death, as he refers to. He's, he, he was rescued from the lion's mouth. And he's done that many times. He then goes on, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. His death was imminent, but he knows that the Lord will deliver him from his wrath. And that Paul will be rescued from every evil deed against him trying to stop the proclamation of Christ. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing in this world can do it. No matter what happens to you, no matter how much someone tries to harm you, whatever evil is going against you, you are loved by God. He is with you. He'll rescue you. There's no spiritual evil that can do it. Not Satan nor demons can separate you from the love of God. Not even death itself can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. As Paul says, he will be brought safely into God's heavenly Paul was a man who was saved by the grace of God. He was a fierce opponent of the gospel himself. But God chose him and changed him. God in his grace met him on the road to Damascus and he made him his own. And from there, Paul served the one true God in Jesus Christ. Paul came to understand that we're only saved in Jesus Christ and he was sent out to proclaim it to the world. And so Paul's work... For the gospel was all the work of God's grace in his life. In choosing him, in delivering him from evil and death repeatedly, in strengthening him for his mission. So God deserves all the glory. As he says, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so it is true in our lives as well. All you've done for the kingdom of God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to the glory of God. God's grace has brought you here today. It's by the grace of God that you've been chosen, that you've been changed to love Him, to serve Him. He forgives you. He gives you a new heart to love Him all in His infinite grace and love. So to Him be the glory for all He has done, all He continues to do forever and ever. Paul then concludes this letter by encouraging Timothy again to come see him. And he tells him of the people that greet him, and and he wants Timothy to greet some people himself. And then in the final line, he says, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. 
And so let this be a reminder to you as you go through your day today, all through this week, the Thanksgiving holidays, as you go through your day every day, the Lord be with you. Because no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult this season of life may be for you, God is with you. Let your spirit be strengthened. Let your heart be encouraged that you are not alone in this life. You are not alone in your daily spiritual fight that you are in. The Lord is with you. And no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how much you've sinned against God, no matter how far you've gone from Him, grace be with you. Grace covers all of your sins, all of your mistakes. His grace be with you in your heart so that you rely on Him to restore your broken relationships, to pay, repay the wrongdoings of others, and to rescue you from all evil so that you can continue in the work that God has called you to in guarding his gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we are a people of the gospel. That is, we are a people of Jesus Christ, and we're committed to serving him. We're committed to serving Jesus, who died the brutal death of a criminal, and he did so for you. God can justly deliver you from the punishment of his sin, of your sin, because he laid that punishment on his own son. And so the continued proclamation of this truth, the truth of the death of Jesus on a cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead is the primary mission of the church. And so we are to live with love. We are to minister to the needs of others, but we do so in the name of Jesus Christ, knowing what he has done in his life, death, and resurrection, and knowing that one day he will return. And so that all may know the eternal life that is found only in Jesus. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It's only in Jesus Christ that you are saved and your sins are forgiven. And this is why you sacrifice. This is why you suffer. That God may continue to be glorified not only in your own salvation and your own sanctification, but in the salvation and sanctification of others. So although life in this broken, fallen world is always difficult, although you will face persecution and suffering, God is with you. And He will remain with you until the end, until He brings you safely home into glory in His heavenly kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning knowing that we rely completely on you and your grace. We come before you only through our great mediator, Jesus Christ, even in prayer. We know that you can restore our broken relationships, and we ask that you do so, that you heal our hearts and heal our wounds so that we can be restored not only to you, but to each other. Lord, give us the strength to rely on you to repay the evil done to us, that we allow you to be the righteous, holy judge, and that we learn to live the way Jesus taught us, forgiving and praying and loving our enemies. And Lord, we ask that you continue to be with us, that we feel your presence each day, knowing that you will rescue us from all evil, that you will empower us and strengthen us for the mission you have laid out ahead for us. And we pray all of this 
In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.